Hello, welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme, You Did This To Us. Hello, 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 everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Welcome to Movie Go Round. Every single week, we have a different theme. This week's theme, again, is You Did This To Us. Joining me, as always, my two wonderful co-hosts, David Luzader. How are you doing? I'm doing real great. I decided to do this entire movie in a John Travolta impression. <laughs> It's Christopher Walken, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it sounds like Christopher it's, it's, Walken. It's kind of, it's, I don't, they kind of mix into the same. Don't touch my hair. <laughs> uh, no, I'm doing fine. I'm just trying to see how much of this wine I can get down before this episode's over, apparently. How does this, this episode's already over? How does oh, this boy. happen to us, honestly? I mean, like, I, I, mean, I, I know that when I, we would let people vote, this would happen. I warned you all! <laughs> they were going to mess with us, and I'm fine with it for the record well joining us as always is nicole davis as well how are you nicole hi this movie is the fault of my old friend and uh senior prom date chris lundquist who was the first to suggest the boy in the plastic bubble and other people jumped on the bandwagon uh so yeah chris is your fault but that's okay i still love you Oh my god. Uh, See, here's what happens. I've noticed this, and we've only done this two weeks. And and by the way, excuse me, listeners, for my nasally voice. I am sick. Um, It seems like someone puts a bad movie in, and then people just rock pile on top of it. Yes. Um, And that seems (laughs) to kind of be what's going on. Now, joining us, I'm very excited, is my co-host on Silver Screens and Politics. He was in the three guest club on Geek Cinema Society, my good friend, Dominic Chikoki. How are you doing, Dominic? I'm doing good. And as I was saying, like it's weird because you also had the room on that little vote thing. And like no one voted for it. I know. I threw the room in I, there. Um, I didn't vote for it. I voted for... No, I did vote for the room. There was one vote on the room, and that was me. <laughs> I think because I thought the it would be time artist right. comes out, people will be like, "We gotta hear them talk about the room." Oh, we gotta do the room at some point, just because the disaster artist makes it timely. Also, uh, I've never seen it, and, I, and also because there's a theater in my local area that plays it as a midnight movie on weekends. So, oh, Gosh, Alamo, Alamo just did a movie party for it, and I didn't go. So there We've are seen it at the music box. Yes, Dominic and I have gone and met Tommy Wiseau at a special showing of it. Um, but that's not what people chose. They chose this. Um, and and also, uh, uh, also on that list, and I throw it on there every time now, I don't vote for it. I just like to see people vote on it, is Warcraft. Um, just to stoke the fire a little bit. I don't blame me. <laughs> I voted for Purple Rain. So. Was Purple I Rain on our list? Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'll Fantastic Mr. Fox is going to get it one of these times <laughs> because it, it is in the second or third place every time now. What is that? Fantastic That's Mr. Fox? Yeah, I love that movie. Let's let's discuss that. No, it's always going to be every week. There's going to be some other made-for-TV movie or like weird little indie project that is going <laughs> to get tossed on here. I mean, if you think Dunstan checks in and the boy in the plastic bubble are the <laughs> end of what's coming. Oh no, we're just opening the floodgates. <laughs> I will be yeah. fair and say, I think this was better than our previous appearances together on other shows. Or you've uh, seen stuff like Heavy Metal. 
I think this was better than that. I okay. don't know. I would well. argue that those movies, you know, your personal opinion quality of them aside, they have some level of artistic value. And are more interesting. This this was a made-for-TV movie. The words I use to describe it are aggressively <laughs> inoffensive. There is there's there's nothing in this movie. It's nothing. It's it's serviceable. It's it's a movie that was made for John Travolta fans. It's a movie that was made. Period. That's where you can stop <laughs> right there. It was made. It was a thing that we saw. We watched it. it well, that movie. Time. That, that movie is, really cool. is 1976's The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. The girl next door meets a teen born with immune deficiencies, and he wants to leave his germ-free bubble. The film is a made-for-television drama inspired by the real lives of David Vetter and Ted DeVita, who lacked effective immune systems. Of course, the boy in the bubble, the famous one anyway, was David Vetter, who died when he was 12, because you don't live that long in a bubble with serious health issues, but inexplicably, this guy's like twenty. Or yeah, I think that I think by the end of the film, he's eighteen. Sure, uh, why not? I when 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 I heard "Boy in the Plastic Bubble," I thought somebody had misremembered the name of Bubble Boy, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> which that movie we would have all probably I would have had a great time watching that movie because if you don't remember it, Fabio was a cult leader in that movie. Like, it's got some real fantastic things going for it. Uh, but instead, we watched this. In- yep, I actually had a different cool. reaction. I saw the boy in the, and I'm like, oh, He's God, are we watching the boy in the striped pajamas? That's a really weird pick for also the audience. Also, Hazel Butterfield. Oh, yeah. yeah there you go. Uh, Call me back to our pre-show when I talked about The Space Between Us, which is this movie, but with space. Yeah. <laughs> That's very, very true. Uh, I keep in mind for that synopsis read, I had to combine three different synopsises. <laughs> also, not totally accurate because in the in the movie, she meets him when they're kids. Yeah, next door neighbors, but she only really becomes like friends with him when they're teenagers. Okay, so look, I'm just gonna kind of dive into this girl, and I'm gonna talk about this girl throughout the entire episode because she is the worst human being. <laughs> on the planet but wow. like, she so when when the film jumps 12 years she acts like oh you know i barely know him and then like you find out she's the only one that goes to, like his birthday parties like they at different times in the film seem like perfect strangers and people who have known each other their entire lives and i get like seeing him a couple times a year like you're not gonna bond that well but she acts like eh, you know i just i kind of see him looking out the window every now and then but she's like gone over to his house a bunch I mean, I could, I can see like the point. Like, I've had like family friends where like I know them. I go to their house, but I don't really know them. Know them, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know yeah. much about them, but I have a familiarity with them enough to be casual. Well, but she like she seems like she has like a real deep sympathy for him at times. Then other times is like bullying. Oh, screw yeah. that guy because like they all feel bad, and that's like the thing. Like everyone's a bully, but they feel bad, so they're not really a bully. Is kind of the point there. I feel like I don't know. I mean, she she struck me as I I would actually at least defend the performance of uh, who is this? This is Glennis O'Connor who played Gina, the next door neighbor, mm-hmm. and you know she's she's acting like teenagers do sometimes. Sometimes they're completely thoughtless. They're you know wrapped up in 
their own friendships or, you know, their own concerns. And, oh, yeah, there's this guy next door and he's got an immune disorder and so he can never come outside, but I only see him once a year. And, yeah, whatever. You know, I'll I, just go yeah, do my I, teenage I, thing. I plus guess I... Oh, go ahead. I was, it was like the, plus, there's the various ways of, like, playing it up or playing it down, depending on who she's with. Like, with her kind of boyfriend, I'm sure she doesn't want to talk about it, really. Except for what she does. Oh, yeah, the Jake Busey knockoff looking dude. It's weird because she kisses him, and then the scene where they're all outside and they do push-ups, she's then, like, holding the the guy that has his, like, arm wrapped around her. But that's after she's kissed Todd. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's after she's kissed him. There's a very weird chronology of, of, of her high school love life. And I think just for me what it is is that I am getting further away from my teen years. <laughs> I look at teenagers now with the bitterness I felt at the time, but now I get to openly express. <laughs> well, she, she does imply that she's been with several people. Oh, yeah, she's she's gotten around. That oh, is God. very obvious. Oh, now, don't slut shame the name. No, not I mean, at all. But, like, that's I'm something that she's implied, she, for sure. She implied that she's been around with guys. Well, a couple things I want to draw attention to. First and foremost, the tagline of this movie. It's a beautiful tagline. A lifetime of loneliness, <laughs> dot, 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 or one day of love. Oh, that's, um, how my, that's how my DVD copy says. <laughs> beautiful. And then yeah, my other favorite thing. DVD copy. Oh, totally yeah. legit. Right. And then my other favorite thing is the, to- the Rotten Tomato reviews of this that came out at the time it came out. Uh, that range from this is one of the best made-for-TV movies ever to well done <laughs> to my personal favorite uh, I may have watched this a hundred times when I was younger late at night when no one was around all I remember are some push-ups and him riding off on a horse to where he would have died after the credits rolled <laughs> so that's where that's like that's where the plot of the movie begins <laughs> is when he actually like leaves the bubble and I take offense I mean I guess this was the 70s made for TV movies like we hadn't gotten to Disney Channel original films yet and they had not experienced the wonder that is Brink uh, at that time. <laughs> that was a real specific pull for other people <laughs> my age, apparently. Uh, Sounds familiar. But... Brink was the, the skating movie uh, that oh. was on Disney Channel original movies. I once stayed up until 3 a.m. I was like, it's time for bed. And then Brink was on. I'm like, well, that plan went out the window. Uh, anyway, the movie, like the interesting part is like what happens when he leaves the bubble and like yeah he just obviously he dies right <laughs> just let's talk about the ending of this well, movie he dies. maybe he doesn't the doctors the say that maybe he's his immune system has developed somewhat they don't seem to have any way to test it or at least they don't talk about it as if there's any way to check i mean like the the, the realism part of it would be like he survives for a few weeks and then he gets sick and dies even if he's like developed like a little bit of an immune system, he has not had any disease. So like, let's say that his immune system is somehow strong enough to withstand the world. Like, he's going to be sick for like six months straight while his body oh, is just sure. getting used to the world. Well, like, they compare him to like cancer patients at one point, and that kind of, in a way, I can kind of see that where it's like, if you're going to go chemo and all that, you know, your immune system's compromised, but it's not like literally going to kill you the second you like get unsanitary. Right. Which is kind of what the movie argues for the longest time until it doesn't. The first thing is you would not want to get near a horse. <laughs> I don't know. There's only, as far as I know, there's only one disease that crosses over from horses to people. 
granted it's deadly and would kill anybody but um so i don't know but but I, I want to talk more about the horse a bit later because I have I have several qualms with the horse. <laughs> so much symbolism. Uh, but I want to talk about the cancer patient that Dominic mentioned, his friend that he casually bonds with over masturbation. In one scene, um, <laughs> and, then and then like we never see or hear. Can we just again? talk about that right. scene? Five the dialogue in that scene where he's like, "Do you ever?" and kind of like makes like a jacking off motion, <laughs> and then the guy's like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Me too." All the time. Like, whoa, that was 70s TV. Oh, my God. They were being subversive, man. Uh, <laughs> nowadays is... on cable, that would be a lead-in into like some bizarre plastic-separated love scene. I, I kind of thought it was going to be. Honestly, it, it felt like it was going to be. I mean, look, they're really the most the, like the well-suited couple of the film. They like, have good chemistry. Understand? Scene. Is it like the they naked gun protection happen. scene where she asks him if he has protection? They're in full size body condoms. Has anyone seen yeah, naked that gun? Was, like, okay. Several questions I had is like, how would that even work? How would he ever have that happen? He would not. No. <laughs> I mean, maybe now before he dies. Uh, what is more tragic? Up before I die. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is more tragic, the fact on, that Gina. David yeah. Vetter was stuck in a bubble, or the fact that he had to see this movie loosely based on himself while stuck in a bubble before he died? And he didn't well, seem to be the biggest fan of it. Either. No, not at all. He, he uh, from Wikipedia, he questioned the film's depiction of how sterile Todd's use of the spacesuit was. Valid. Uh, okay, Vetter yeah. scoffed at the idea that Travolta's character could simply wear the spacesuit back into the insulator without contaminating the bubble. It, it should also be noted yeah. that David was actually made a real spacesuit by NASA uh, in real life in order to Which move is in around. The film. Which is loosely yeah. in the film, but required a lot more. Like he could only go up to eight feet. Oh, Buzz really? Aldrin's wow. there. And Buzz <laughs> Aldrin shows up. Can we talk about the fact that Buzz Aldrin is in this movie? I'm yeah. sitting there watching the opening credits, and all of a sudden, <laughs> with a special appearance of Buzz Aldrin, appears on the screen. Well, what I love is those opening credits are happening over the C-section scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> what I found fascinating was, like, I thought my copy was defective or whatever, because, like, it just starts. It just starts. Yeah. And, like, almost mid-scene. I'm like, wait. It starts with the, the 1959, and then well, I love that that part where he delivers the doctor delivers the news to the husband and wife, and she like walks off in a huff, and yeah. uh, and then it's revealed that she walked two feet away and just like sat down on the ground. <laughs> like I thought she'd like gone inside to deal with whatever's going on. It's like nope, she just wanted to get like a, a little bit away from the doctor, a little bit of air. Yes. She's got to walk away from Dr. Ralph Bellamy and go sit in the backyard <laughs> on the Ralph ground. Ralph Bellamy, guys. So, well, and he's like, he, he comes over and he's like, hey, you're pregnant, as if it's, you know, the best news. Meanwhile, you know, they know that they've they've had a child with an immune disorder who died previously in infancy, I guess. And we don't find this out until later. We don't find any of this out until later. We uh, don't find out um, what disease the boy in the plastic bubble has ever. <laughs> I, 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 not, not to be overly corrective, but they do like they, they, they straight up talk about it in the first scene where they're like, is it going to happen again? Well, yeah, oh, but it's all indirect. Again. You know, you, you got to piece it together for yourself. Which is strange for this movie that is otherwise, you know, hitting you over the head with a blunt object. Yeah. And then choking you with it. Yeah. 
like that no, one scene. like the bear like a button from a bear's eye <laughs> so to, to move briefly back to to buzz uh did anyone else feel like he was reading a piece of paper that yep. a grip was holding off screen <laughs> yes yep. he was or either yep. that or he was like he felt like he was like in a in a radio advertisement for a car dealership Yep. He did not seem terribly hey, invested it's good in to this. Meet you. <laughs> I'm Buzz Aldrin. He literally Buzz walked Aldrin. on the set. He read the poster board that they were holding up, and then walked off with the check. That's yeah. all they did. So, I it. <laughs> uh, to talk a little bit about the music in this movie, this is uh, oh, something that Nicole music. put on our docket. Now, I think it's Never pretty right. emotional, well, especially yes. that final song. It, what is that final song? Uh, oh. it's Paul Williams. It's a song Paul. they wrote for... Perfect. Paul Williams, star of yes. uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Yes. It just, uh, I'm, what, I'm all what I'm getting they, is Paul Simon's What, what they say is the name of the song. Oh, oh, okay. Although the chorus is Leave Us Alone. <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> understand. That's right. It's, you know, he's singing about this relationship that people don't like, as if it's like some... You know, 1930s interracial love story when really it's this kid who's sick and this girl who's not, you know. It's just... uh, now, this this show or this movie was uh, the, the music was composed by Mark Snow, who's most famously known for the X-Files theme song. Yeah. Well, he's he definitely made progress because this score was terrible. <laughs> Terrible, Malty. unrelenting. It was all violins, flutes, oboe. There was a harpsichord at one point. Yeah, it's not a good score. It's not a good score. I will use the words again: aggressively inoffensive. <laughs> so, as I was saying in the pre-show, I did a marathon of this "Space Between Us" and "Starman" in one night, and they all had a song like pretty much the, the exact same way. Toward the end, usually just starts. And it's just like, why? Why was this? Why is this necessary for this kind of movie to yeah. have a song? No, well, and this one though, the timing, the timing is impeccable. The second <laughs> he steps out of the bubble, the Paul Williams st- song begins. There are no other actual songs in the movie. It's all a musical score. Which is, I think, the, the song, the instrumental, repeated. <laughs> so it's just. So he walks out of the bubble to this Paul Williams song, and I'm watching it, and I'm going, "Oh wow, okay." So they're going to bring this in for the you know the dramatic moment when he first leaves the bubble. I wonder what will happen next. And f- like three minutes later, the movie's over. So- he he feels a tree. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, feels like, a tree. Looks a squirrel. <laughs> he like so, but the thing they don't show the crazy part is he walks out. And then he eats a pot brownie, apparently. Because <laughs> he he's got to touch everything, man. <laughs> he's got to feel it all. Well, you he has to touch your face. In it's softer than I thought it would be. Yeah, she's oh, so God. soft. That was so creepy. Is your mouth really dry right now? <laughs> <laughs> and just, it bothers me how unconcerned she is. <laughs> So okay, so we should we should backtrack a little bit. Just you know, for anybody who hasn't seen this, he spends the entire movie inside plastic bubble, like a modified spacesuit. Cannot let anything from the outside world touch him directly until unless it's been sterilized. Can't be exposed to any germs whatsoever, or he will die instantly, so- or at least that's what's intimated. 
and there the are so many times. Oh, yes, but, and there are so many times they break that rule with like no when they slip the ten dollar bill underneath like the little like doorway of the bubble, <laughs> and like there's a weird open space in his. I like they have that whole explanation of like oh winds blowing so germs can't get in here, <laughs> but it's, like they set up all this stuff like the only time there's any real drama is when he's choking on the the eye of the bear as a child as a child but there's no and then like then there's the part where he's walking on the spacesuit and like he almost runs out of air but at no point does does his disease really feel that isolating for me personally i don't know he's still like yeah he's not walking out around amongst his peers all the time but it's I don't know. He's still weirdly enough. The script and acting did not fully convey the trials and tribulations that Todd was going through for me. Can we talk about? Sure. I'm sorry. No, it's just he seems remarkably happy and well adjusted for living life in complete seclusion from the touch of other people. Yep. Can we talk about how accommodating that school is for the (laughs) seventies? Oh God, for the seventies, absolutely. Yeah. Like they Would install, they have like closed circuit camera technology, which looks the same as it does now. <laughs> um, yeah, they no like, latency. Real impressive. They have like their own like private bubble for him to go into. So they have a spacesuit thing. Okay, I, I want to explore the whole realm that he was watching that instantly. Does that mean there was like a couple miles of wires running from the school to his house? It's not because parents seemingly have infinite money, so probably. <laughs> no, no, it's all donated. I think is the the score since he's so famous. They want to donate things to him, but they want to be private. They're private people. Yes, which is why the dad looks so much like Mike Brady. <laughs> they're not listed in the phone book. Oh right, that's right. Well, yeah, I like how they're like, oh, we don't. Who are you people? Oh, we're your neighbors. Oh, that's right. Like, not like we haven't <laughs> seen you every day of our lives. And then there's like a whole point of she's jealous because they have a daughter who's okay. Yeah, like there's like the the, the, <laughs> the parents dealing with it in the beginning was actually really compelling and really interesting. I was much more into that storyline than any of the John Travolta crap that came later on. Like when the mom, like the mom's struggling. Like I can't really. You know, I can't touch my son, and I, I kind of don't want to go to the hospital, but then she goes anyway. Like, that was actually, like, a touching scene. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, okay, this is story time. Okay, um, when my older son was born, um, he was born with the cord wrapped around his neck and had to be put in the special care unit for, like, four days. Which doesn't sound like anything whatsoever, but you know, you're prepping for your first child. You've been waiting for, you know, nine months and with bated breath, you can't wait to meet your baby. And you have all these expectations of your baby will be born and they'll do the thing where they suck stuff out of his mouth and they put him in your arms and you bond instantaneously. And it's the most beautiful moment of your life. And my kid got, uh, you know, CPR performed on him right after he came out and was whisked off to the nursery. And I didn't get to hold him until like more than 24 hours later. And that just that little thing that was it was really painful. 
as a mother where, you know, you have this picture built up in your mind of how it's going to be. And when that doesn't happen, it hurts, you know, and it's your, your baby. You're supposed to be able to hold your baby whenever you feel like it. And so I really felt for this mother who's like reaching in with these plastic gloves to touch her newborn baby and just saying, I'm sorry, you know, apologizing to him. And that, you know, that it really got me. It got me. I mean, I'm probably, you know, I'm a very specialized audience for this movie. <laughs> well, and the parents lost all emotional arc as soon as it jumped 12 years. I yeah. was I was into what was happening at first. That was right. a much more interesting movie to me. Than... Yeah, you don't ever have to watch them coming to grips with it. Right. They just, at that point, they're like, well, we're, we're dealing with it. Is it fair to say that the uh, mother won an Emmy for that beginning, basically? I would say so. I th- her acting was great. I mean, yeah. she got a posthumous Emmy, but like, other than that, it had to be for the beginning. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> the actress passed away uh, the following year of breast cancer, so. Yeah, they're not given a lot of lines. No. Well, on. I don't know. Robert Reed gets a, a fair amount to say. He does stuff. He gets yeah. to be very emotive. <laughs> yeah, but I, I can't really, like, pick out a whole lot of, like, there was never like him having a heart to heart with his son as you know there 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 was just like they they were just kind of there to meet the needs that needed to be met of their son and that that was it would this film be a stronger film if it just got rid of the whole teenage romance aspect and actually kept it to a kid who maybe dies when he's 12 like keep it to the actual story of of the of the actual kid, like would that be more impactful? I feel like it would be. If it was a family story, yes. I mean, I feel like they could have a romance, but they just downplayed it. Yeah, because like really, you can't do much with it. Clearly. Well, you know, like I said, this was 1976. John Travolta was a huge teen heartthrob from being on Welcome Back, Cotter. Welcome and, back, um, and uh... yeah. So I mean, I was I'm. I'm actually old enough to remember when John Travolta was on Welcome Back, Cotter. And he was all over, you know, Tiger Beat and Teen Magazine. And he had his own albums released, which were, spoilers, terrible. Um, <laughs> and this, this was you know, a... Yeah, this was a year before Saturday Night Fever, two years before Grease. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, this is the same director as Grease, too. Because Travolta requested Also, yeah. Yeah, yeah. John Travolta liked him so much <sighs> that he wanted him to make Grease. Yeah, that but I mean, this of... is, you know, this is all in the way of explaining why they're focusing on the romance instead of the family story. Sure. Because they wanted, you know, girls to be able to identify with the, the girl in the movie. Right, that gives me a lot of hope as like a kind of a filmmaker, where it's like if I can go, or if somebody can go from boy in a plastic bubble to Greece in two years, that's like that's astounding. <laughs> that is it astounding. Is. Yeah, <sighs> I hate this movie. I'm just like, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just, I don't, I, I don't. I'm, hate I'm, we're 28 minutes into the it. show, and I'm just like, my heart is just empty. Right. Brett, uh, Brett, why do you hate it? I hate this movie. It's so aggressively bland that <laughs> nothing at any point 
happens with any consequences with the exception of the final scene. And we don't get to visit any of those consequences and it's approached in the most absurd fashion. We don't know that there are any consequences. The movie, you know, cuts off. Literally, he walks out of the bubble, goes outside, goes up to his girlfriend, touches her face, kisses her, (laughs) says, let's go for a ride. They get on her horse and go riding off. And we never see anything else happen. Maybe he's fine. And then 30 feet later, he falls off the horse. Falls off the horse. Seizure, probably. (laughs) That horse had to be a thing where they're like, we need a horse. Get a horse. Also, and like that, you don't live in like you don't picture. live in like a farm town. Where is she keeping this horse? They live right by a lake. Yeah, but the, yeah. But the lake does not no. denote you can just own no, a horse. Like, they're like a lake town. They're not a farm town. Okay. Yeah. They, no, they're like, they're, I live in the suburb. Well, I don't Salem is a city, but there are suburbs here in Massachusetts where people have they're scattered here and there. There's enough open land. People have like their own paddocks if they have enough land, and some people have horses as pets. The the horse was them was in one of the scenes where they attempted to create some tension and drama when she's gonna jump over the bubble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that like, was great. I, that was my favorite moment of the movie. I would have loved it so much more if she like if she had actually partially collapsed the bubble. I don't know. It was just like, of course she's gonna jump over it. Yeah, and of course, like the a, is... a stray hoof cracked the the bubble on the top or something. Yeah, and the person who stole that scene is Anne Ramsey, who's not even in the same room as these as the other characters. <laughs> she's in the kitchen. Nurse. She's in the kitchen drinking brandy, and she sees it. She's like, "Oh lord!" <laughs> yeah, like, "Oh, I'm so gonna get fired." See, my favorite scene with the horse is I have two. I, well, I have two scenes I love. The first one is that um, it's so much better. When you're like, I don't know how to describe how stupid I think this is. She just shows up on her horse inexplicably on the 4th of July dance or party, cookout, whatever it is, on the little beach. And this, like, majestic, like, through the, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. She's like, she's like galloping through the sand and her hair is like floating in the air and he's just looking up at her from the bubble it's just a very saddening scene to me. It's so stupid. It's I, I think that's what my problem is. It's just such a stupid movie. And then she like gallivants off, and then like the next time we see her, she's just bullying him. I don't like her. I don't like her. I don't like her horse. Like anything about this movie. <laughs> I think the bullying is really realistic though. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about that, Dominic and I, that that the bullying is slightly it's not like Hollywood bullying. It's more low key. Yeah, like, it's, not, it's a little not, toned down. They're not painted as evil children. They're just like, oh, this kid's weird. We don't really know him. So we're going to be weird about it. scene where she turns him like, it was a prank, you idiot. Like, she <laughs> might as well have said that to him. Like, I held your hand as a prank. <laughs> Dumbass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but even then, she was the meanest out of all the other kids. She took it more personally than they did. Yeah, and it's not till like almost a year later that she apologizes for it. You know, think back to what happened on the Fourth of July. Right. I felt really bad. Why did John Travolta have the intercom system? I guess to get the attention of people in other rooms. Nah, yeah. Yeah, I answered my own question. Never I think it. Was, I think it was something they implant or installed in the beginning. They didn't know whether they were going to use it or not. They they mentioned it briefly. Implanted. That would have been way more interesting if he had like a t- <laughs> implanted. 
Well, they, like, they like installed it in the house. They mentioned it briefly at the very beginning yeah. when they finally bring him home. And I'm guessing they just figured out that it wasn't actually useful and they just kept it. Well, and they it seems like they're kind of kind of use it as a device in the beginning of a way that he like separates himself from what and I guess he kind of does. But again, this is a made for TV movie. They don't go beyond any initial surface level stuff like right there's no deep psychological struggle with dealing with having to be in this you know basically imprisoned in his house there's not even really any struggle well there is some deep psychological stalking uh i don't know there's some weird scenes in this movie with him and gina where he's like yeah i know i watch you feed your horse every morning He's and it's like watched they, her change, right? It, it, like, ri- it rides this sure. really weird oh, yeah. line oh, between like voyeurism and like sadness. That well, you don't... it's not like he has much of a choice, though, except to watch the he world. He sits there with his binoculars. Porn was not readily available. In no, definitely era. not. Imagine that they did this like they like matched this up with like I don't know if we preferred Disturbia or Rear Window. Rear Window, where there's like a crime going on out there, and he's trying to solve it. Yeah, but he can't leave the room because yeah, he's in the plastic bubble. But then that would just be Rear Window, and we already perfected that movie, so. Well, yeah, that's true. I kind of want Rear yeah, Window with young John Travolta in a bubble. I think that's better than Jimmy in a cast. Yeah, we just know what we get. We get John Travolta <laughs> in shorts for two hours. Oh, the, oh, the shorts. shorts. <laughs> okay. Something so that really bothered me. I'm just gonna point it out. What really bothered yeah. me is he never explain like the whole bathroom thing except for one throwaway line. And I just uh, like, like the astronauts. Yeah, and it's just like it bothered me the whole movie. Like, how did that happen? How did they attempt to toilet train him? How did that all go down? Because <laughs> that seems like the biggest struggle they would have. Where is his bathroom? He doesn't have one anywhere in that little room of his. Well, okay, so if he's got no immune system and he's never exposed to the outside world, does this mean he's got, like, no bacteria in his body whatsoever? Like, no gut bacteria? They never explain so, this. And more so, like, yeah. when how do they introduce things into that environment? I mean, you bring him food. So, food has bacteria on well, it. You bring him... I'm just, I'm just wondering if, if, like, his poo is sterile because he doesn't have any gut bacteria or something. Uh, Possibly? I can <laughs> I, I imagine he is eating like a a tasteless, colorless mush that is basically <laughs> it's you know, been acid. boiled for ten minutes. <laughs> so no, so like in real life with people in this situation, yeah. they it takes like ten days for anything to get sterile enough to go in there. Like it has to be exposed to so this whole process that takes like ten days. Wow! Uh, at least like back then in the seventies. So it's like you're, hey honey, you want meatloaf in a week and a half? <laughs> That's what you're getting. It's also like that scene where he talks about like doing it like the astronauts do. He then takes off the suit and he's in the short shorts again, which is so which makes that whole scene like doubtful. It's probably adult diapers in those short shorts. I don't know. No, yeah, that you you'd have seen something. Both the shorts were smaller and adult diapers were much larger back in 1976. So, so they they cared about it less than the writer did. Yeah, yeah. So, like, like, I mean, it's just like that would have been a really good like way to like introduce like a struggle of some sort, at least showing him grow up. I don't know, struggling to put the shorts on over the new tall diaper. Yes, <laughs> well, yes. About- <laughs> a struggle for this movie would have been him looking at his 
extensive collection of short shorts in the morning <laughs> trying to decide which color which shade of yellow he wants to wear today <laughs> but like like let's let's think about it like what else could they have introduced like he really wants something that had to sterilize it and it's like oh he does i don't want it anymore <laughs> or like he, there's another girl he's interested in who lives in a different house he can see and then she moves away yeah so obviously he's interested in her it's the only female the only human that's not part of this family that he has any sort of access to like yeah he's gonna like imagine he walks out of that bubble gets on that horse with her and like let's say he like makes it a couple days meets another girl who you know is much more of his interests and mindset like that romance would most likely not last Oh no! Well, keep in mind, his cancer friend that he bonded with did let him know there's always the option of going out and getting as dirty as possible with a hooker. (laughs) I believe is how he phrased (laughs) it. Yeah, that 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 was yeah the the other guy in the bubble. David, you said it like they had the best compatibility of anyone. Yeah, and look, we we know the truth about John Travolta now. Yeah, you know, maybe there's (laughs) a reason he had the best chemistry with that guy. Or like I said, get a nurse. Get someone who can like help him. Well, I, he did have the best chemistry with his fictional mom. We later learn in real life he dated the woman Ooh. until What's her, her name death. Diana Highland. Uh, un, until yeah, until she died six, six months after Principal. What is it about in his arms? Though in his arms, yeah, uh, allegedly died in his arms. What is it Aww. about Mike Brady that his fictional sons? End up picking Deep up his <laughs> wives. Yeah. Because famously, Greg Brady, now the story as Carol Brady later, I don't know the actor's names. So I'm going to go with uh, Carol Brady and, and Greg. Uh, <laughs> she told it is that like they just went on a date and it was like a yes. very kind of like sweet thing. Yeah, it, he also actually, tells it as they went on one date. Yeah, there wasn't like an actual romance, as like the scandal would want you to believe. But like also in this movie, Mike Brady's kid is. Uh, is you know Oedipus complexing it up? Hmm. <laughs> that's ah. Uh, so that's uh, let's talk I mean, about seventies. So it's like she looks, especially in this movie, she looks like forty five. <laughs> yeah, she was eighteen you know, years a senior. Forty at the time. is way older looking than twenty seventeen forty. The most age appropriate mom on television. Yes, I think we've ever seen. So, I I think for me, what would have made this film far more effective? I know I already mentioned this. Just cut out the cut out the um the high school romance and make it more about a family That's story. Seventies seventies base heavy porno track <laughs> for the uh... <laughs> exactly. Uh, I but I I think good. one of the one of my problems with this film and and we've we've danced around it quite a bit is that it sounds like David Vetter had a very interesting life, uh, and we didn't get to see any of it. We just saw when he was like seemingly completely adjusted, eighteen years old, and that's what really frustrates me about this film. Is I wanted to see him when he was three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, and that's what I thought I was getting. Frankly, when I when I first saw this cover, I didn't know that Travolta was the boy in the plastic bubble. So, there was a there was a thing about they were worried as David Vetter got older about how he. Uh, as a teenager how he would be because that environment you know is not 
psychologically super healthy. And uh, the other one that the it's loosely based off of, um, I can't Ted remember. DeVita. The, Ted DeVita apparently had uh, some. I, I mean, I don't want to say issues, but he, he I guess his, his personality was a little bit abrasive because he lived to 18 or 19. And yeah. uh, he apparently was very moody because that's what would happen. Well, it sounds sure. like yeah. David could have potentially lived longer, uh, but yes. David died from a bone marrow transplant with his sister, which is weird because like they tried to do a transplant when he was born and she wasn't the match. So I'm not entirely sure why they did it later on. And no. then... They thought they had like some some modification to the procedure and like other treatments they could give him in conjunction with it to to try to ameliorate the fact she was not a perfect donor match for him. And gotcha. then she turns out to have this dormant disease they didn't know about. Yeah, spoiler she had the alert, Epstein Barr virus. Yeah, spoiler alert, guys. People who have to live their lives in bubbles usually it does not end happy for them. This brings up something else I was always wondering about. Like, what happens when the power goes out? They have a backup generator. They they gloss over that really quickly the first time they bring him home. It's like you have, you know, do you have this? Do you have the pumps? Do you have the air fans? Do we have the backup generator? Do we have, you know, the whole checklist that they run through? So yeah, I mean that was the sad part. I did. I I looked up Ted Devita and. Um, David Vetter, and I mean, they both died from treatments. Um, you know, not from the actual, not from like going outside of the bubble, but from treatments to try to make it possible for them to leave. See, I think that'd be an interesting movie too if they had made it. Like, he doesn't want treatment, right? What it seems like he's. I've I've seen this in a couple of. I don't think they were not real life biopics, but. Um, you know, like movies of the week where somebody's got a disease where they choose to like have one week where they live life to the fullest and damned be the consequences. You know, they're they're willing to give up the rest of their lives to have this one week of freedom. To, uh, and to give like an example of something that I thought did that showed the struggle a little bit better and more interesting supernatural kind of way. There's this television show called being human in which this world vampires exist. There also ends up being this strain of like the flu that's super poisonous to vampires. So just like feeding starts killing them all off. And one is a nurse and he discovers a boy in a bubble who has, you know, whose blood has never had this disease. The kid figures it out. And then the struggle becomes like, look, I will out you unless you turn me into a vampire on my 18th birthday so I can get out of this bubble. And that's yeah. like, th- there's interesting conflict yeah. in, that, in, like, <laughs> in him wanting to get out. And in this, it was just like, yeah, it, yeah. it does seem like it didn't matter. Like he could have lived the rest of his life in this bubble. Just all of a sudden at the end, he's like, Oh, you're going off. You're going off to college. Let's not try to like discuss this and figure it out and, and work anything out. Like I'm just going to step out of my bubble. Well, right yeah. And I mean, don't underestimate the power of teenage hormones either. It's true. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet's all about them. Those so, kids are like 14. What I think, like what I think Starman got right. Cause I saw that also <laughs> the same night. Like it wasn't about Starman. It was about the woman, uh, Karen Allen. Yes. And like, I think it might've helped if the boy in the plastic bubble movies like that aren't about the dude himself. But like about the people around him, situation itself. Because like in the end, you're just watching a boy in a bubble. Like there's nothing inherently cinematic or like 
interesting about that. There, there could be if this were better written and better performed. But... Then it's like you have the space between us, where the kid comes to Earth to have his one shot at freedom, and it's like similarly illogical, similarly like really okay. Yeah, and they just I have not found that formula yet. Where other other than like having them be a supporting character, you can't really do that much yet. If if like the 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 disease the bubble thing was just like kind of like just a circumstance and the story was happening around that instead of it trying to be some sort of focus of everything and i get like the compelling reason of why you want it because it's it seems interesting just on its own but like it's if the characters aren't interesting if we don't care about these people like why does it matter if he's in a bubble this this story is the same if it's just uh we dated as teenagers and then you're going to move away to college at the end of the summer. Like that's the same movie that we're experiencing here. It's like, it's like the thing always with like uh this like representation of disabilities, people or people with disabilities or minorities and stuff like that, where you can have it, but if it's not good, it doesn't matter. Could you imagine being that like, 10 or 11 year old kid who's watching this movie that's supposed to be loosely based on you and it's about someone who's like 18 and like the girl he wants to date right. like that's that's not about your life no no of course not no i would imagine that would be pretty insulting to watch i mean david vetter was was just like a kid he, i think he was like six when this movie came out but so that's uh, the uh, the ted devito was uh, let's see, he would have been about 14 when this came out, and he was probably, like, throwing stuff at the walls. <laughs> he also hated going out. Like, he kind of had a spacesuit sort of thing as well, and he hated going out, except in Star Trek conventions, because that's the only time people weren't looking at him weird. Uh-huh. That's, that's uh, interesting. Guys, for next gosh. week, can we just scrap whatever we have planned and just skip forward 20 years to uh, another really awful John Travolta Romantic comedy phenomenon. Because no. I just remember uh, phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, we can't. Can do it. <laughs> Similarly bad music. Yeah, I just this movie reminded me of phenomenon. I'm not sure why. All I remember is the music, and it's terrible. It is it's terrible. Not what is phenomenon about? Phenomenon is where like suddenly develops like uh, telekinetic powers out of nowhere. <laughs> Look. And, but so he watch... uses it to find a kid in a corn maze. <laughs> like that is the that is the cinematic. No. Like if we're gonna watch any terrible John Travolta film, we're gonna watch Michael. That's or Face Off. Oh right. God! <laughs> no. Maybe that's all with the terrible music. It's one of those two. I can't remember which. I think it's Phenomenon. Uh, what is the one where the guy can talk to his dad via a radio, and his dad Frequency. Frequency. I always get Phenomenon and Frequency mixed up. No, Frequency. I think is Dennis Quaid and Jim Caviezel. Yeah, I believe you're right. Yes. So, so I, I, I just kind of want DJ. I just kind of want to forget this happened to me. Okay, see, that, I get that confused the frequency. Which one is the one with Steven Seagal where he's on a train? I don't think there's one where he's on a I think it's Under Siege 2. Yeah. Oh, sure. okay. Dark Territory. <laughs> Wasn't Under Siege 1 on a boat? <laughs> it's like, it's like, Speed 2 is on a boat. Isn't Under Siege on a boat, maybe? Under no, Siege think, Start is on a boat, the first but one. But Under Siege 2 is on a train. But speed speed is on a bus. Speed two. I love that this is what this episode has become. <laughs> this is how much. That's how disinteresting we, this movie is. 
<laughs> we are now just naming random films. <laughs> Which is one? <laughs> that is more entertaining than talking about this movie. Well, if you would like to see this movie, uh, it's you it's can. On YouTube. It's on YouTube, but I didn't even think to check there. I I got it elsewhere. Uh, it's on. So the version I watched on YouTube would just randomly have like fifteen second ads, but it was not like I thought it would be like during the commercial break moments. It would just yeah. be like randomly in the line, middle of a line of dialogue. Oh my goodness! Pick back up right where it was. No, so the I one didn't... I watched buffered like every ten seconds, so it was like wow. watching a, a slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was a DVD copy, which I did not know was bootlegged until I started watching it, and you could see the artifacting and like the the, the weirdness of like a recording. Yeah, this is a movie that is not in the public domain, but nobody cares to protect their copyright on it. Right. <laughs> yeah, you oh can find God. it in a million ways for free. You I can find it. it, but why would you? Why would you? I think we can. John can Holt, safely uh, romance. Say. There you go. We can safely say that there's no reason anybody should seek out this film. No. If you if you want to watch a bad John Travolta romance, go watch Moment by Moment, which was a romance with him and Lily Tomlin. Wait, watch what Moment by Moment? No, the movie <laughs> Moment by Moment. Okay. Now, okay, here's an important question that I have. Which was better? Dunstan checks in. Uh, or this movie. Ooh. I have my answer. This movie kept my attention more than Dunstan checks in. What? And I think that's just because I, I'm sick right now and I was resigned to just laying in bed watching whatever I was forced to. You wish uh, you were the boy in the plastic bubble? That's how kind of I feel right now, honestly. This offended me less than Dunstan Checks In. What? You people are insane. <laughs> Dunstan Checks In had a monkey. And at least <sighs> decent God damn it, David. Orangutan is not a monkey. Uh, anyway. How many times do I have to have this fight with you guys? Every time that I bring Dunstan up Dunstan Checks is In. is an orangutan. Orangutans are apes. They do not have tails. It is not a monkey. But if you want to watch, Wait, a that's movie, the a that's bad... the thing is whether or not. But they if you have want a tail? to watch a movie with a monkey, <laughs> watch, Wait, back up. But that's the a... thing is if they have a tail, they're a um a monkey, or if they have a tail. What's they're... the movie with the monkey who's working for a paraplegic Opera. and he kills people? Oh, <laughs> I I don't know the movie, but I know the parody episode of Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> or there's the, there's the Clint Eastwood movies, uh, Every Which Way But Loose, Any Which Way You Can, which are probably better. I haven't seen Dunstan Checks in, so I don't know. I don't. That's... I can't watch those. I heard that the that the orangutan was abused. Oh. Oh. Well, five weeks from now, the classic Ronald Reagan film, Bedtime for Bonzo. <laughs> if, oh, man! If we had gotten on a roll where people were just like putting in movies that have don't, monkeys no, and don't, apes, don't but... don't give them ideas, David. Don't. Make them Dominic. watch Spirited Killer. Make can you and I Killer, can you please. and I plan right here on Movie Go Round to cover Bedtime for Bonzo at some point on Silver Screens and Politics if it's not done here? Okay, oh, sure. Yeah, I'll, it, it I'll, stars I'll Ronald break. Reagan. This is this is true. We Ronald Reagan hires a nanny to help him raise a chimp, hoping to decide nature versus nurture. Where's the movie Matt LeBlanc's in it? And there's a also a Ed. You're confused. Matt LeBlanc is the chimp in whatever movie you're thinking of. <laughs> it is Ed. 
It's like a baseball playing yes. chimp. Yes. Let's see. That movie I would watch. No, we are also not talking about other movies that we want to watch in future <laughs> episodes. We have run out of stuff to talk about for the boy in the plastic bubble. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. Uh, let's go around the horn really quick uh, and see where we can find everybody online. But first, I do want to announce next week's program. Next week's program is new to two. Uh, first week of new to two was Nicole. Second week was David. Now, or second, first cycle, second cycle, third cycle starts back up next week. And it's my pick, so I am picking the Midnight Meat Train. <laughs> Woo! So join us on the Midnight Meat Train. You are not going to find it on Pornhub. Well, you probably will, but just look for it on Netflix. <laughs> not, not that one. Yeah. Not that one if you find one. It's on Netflix currently as we are recording this November 30th. It's it's an interesting film. It's a horror film. Uh, heads up. It's kind of weird. So that's what we're going to be watching. David and Nicole have not seen it. But let's go around the table really quick. See where we can find everybody online. Dominic, what are you up to? It was a pleasure to have you on the program. Oh, I'm off doing silver strings and politics every now and then with Brett over there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at D-A-C-I-C-H-O-C-K-I. Right on. Silver screens and politics, where we will inevitably delve into bedtime for Bonzo. Episode 56. Oh, God. What are we watching next? Just throw it out. Throw it out for this audience. For those unfamiliar silver screens and politics is where we talk about films that relate to presidential people more often than not, but also just politics in general. Oh, so next we're watching All the Way, the Brian Cranston LBJ movie. Oh, that's that's so much better than everything we've watched in the last, like, ten episodes. You guys gotta look up <laughs> all of the compiled clips of Pizza Boy from uh, from all that. Or, uh, pe- oh. No, 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 no. Uh, Ear Boy. Because ears are really big. Because Ross Perot was a recurring character, not the actual candidate Ross Perot. They just had somebody playing the character of Ross. Perot. Oh, that and sounds amazing! I want that in my life. Great. Well, it's we've like watched some... watching Home Alone two for Trump. We've really debated that. <laughs> we we ended up watching a really bad Citizens United documentary on on. Right, the... this is right. This is something you do every time where we we we, we, we watch a movie and you're like, oh, it was okay, it was fine. And then later, just like, oh, it's terrible. It's the worst I descend into seen. madness, Dominic. I descend into madness the longer <laughs> these films sit in my mind. Uh, I'm looking at you. What was the one that sympathized with the Confederates? Oh, the Field of Lost Shoes. Our lost Field episode. of Lost Shoes, which should have been Field of Lost Souls, because that would have been a great pun, but whatever. Uh, David, where can people find you online? People can, of course, find me all the time in the Heck Yeah Comics podcast, heckyeahcomics.com, or Heck Yeah Comics podcast, wherever podcasts are sold. I'm also on the Brokebot Mountain podcast, uh, and you can find me around the internet under the username DavLuz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, so Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, find me there. Very good. And what about you, Nicole? Well, you can find me curating uh, the Facebook pages for Movie Go Round, which is at Movie Go Round Podcast uh, on Facebook. Uh, so, facebook.com slash Movie Go Round Podcast. And I also curate the page for Geek Cinema Society, the archive, our show that has wrapped up. Um, but all the episodes are still available through our website and uh, via links through our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Geek Cinema Society. Um, or you could follow me personally on Twitter, which is at, at your word whiz, and that's Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. Very good. And uh, if you are joining us on Movie Go Round and have never before seen or heard Geek Cinema Society... 
it's a good time to go back and listen because the archive is all remastered, sounds great, and is on its own feed and all complete, all 53 episodes. Check that out. My name is Brett Stewart. You can find me on brettdavidstewart.com and, of course, over on Silver Screens and Politics, as aforementioned. That'll do it for myself, David, Nicole, and Dominic. We will catch you next week with the Midnight Meat Train. <laughs>